Well, amen. The Lord is good, is he not? Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Thankful for the promises of the Lord. Thank you for allowing me to enjoy this great time of worship of our great God and King this morning. It's a privilege to be able to meet with you today. I want to invite you, if you would, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We're ultimately going to be looking in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. I uh, appreciate the, uh, the warm welcome uh, th- today as well, and uh, just for the ministry that, uh, that Wynn Baptist Church has in this community, and it's, uh, it's an honor to be able to share God's Word with you today. Again, my name is Marcus Brown, and I serve as team leader of the Evangelism and Church Health Team there at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, and uh, I-, I want to... Uh, be able to say on behalf of our executive director, Dr. Sonny Tucker, and the other 1,550 Southern Baptist churches in the state of Arkansas, thank you for your partnership in, uh, in helping to advance the kingdom of God here in our state and in our nation and ultimately around the world. It is exciting to be able to see the things that God is doing, some of which, some of the things that God is doing, we're never going to know about this side of heaven. And, uh, and we just have to trust him and, and trust that he is at work, and indeed he is at work. As a matter of fact, um, earlier in the month of January, I was, asking, I was talking with a member of the missions team there at the, at the state convention, and uh, I, I asked this man, I said, hey, I, I want to hear an encouraging story about what's going on on the international mission field. And he said, all right, I just heard one, and I would love to share it with you. And he, he said, here's, here's how it goes. He said... Uh, 20 years ago, the International Mission Board, they sent a man to an island, a fairly remote island off of the coast of Southeast Asia, and that day, 20 years ago, when that missionary set foot on that island of one million people, that day, he was the only Christian on that island, the only one. It was a Muslim stronghold. No other believers on that island. He said, what I just found out here recently is this. He said, 20 years have passed. That man has been proclaiming the message of Jesus to those one million people. He said, if you set foot on that island today, 100,000 people on that island are followers of Jesus Christ through the ministry of that missionary. Yeah, absolutely. God is good. I'm telling you, that kind of thing is happening all over the world. And and there are places in the world where the gospel is exploding. And I want us to be encouraged by that. God is alive and well and at work. And the fact of the matter is, a lot of that, God allows a lot of that to happen through the way in which you help to, to give generously to missions through something called the Cooperative Program. And I want to thank you for the fact that you give as you do uh, through the cooperative program and all the missionaries that are able to serve, all the good stuff that's going on in our state. Just yesterday, there was a block party training down in South Arkansas where churches came together and, and they met together. It was a state convention event. You helped to fund that through the cooperative program and churches are equipped to go into their community and reach people that will never set foot in their church with the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the kind of thing that happens. The sun never sets on the ministry of Wynn Baptist Church and so we, we serve a great God and so let us be encouraged by what he is doing to advance his kingdom now 
Uh, I, I appreciated the words Dr. Connor shared a moment ago as, as you as a church enter into this time of searching for your next pastor. You're entering into this interim period and, and, uh, and you came to church and, and you knew somebody was going to be preaching, but you may not have known exactly who was going to be preaching. I don't know. And, and, uh, and you may still be wondering, you know, who is this guy? How long does he preach? These kind of essential questions. But as you're entering into this interim period of time, it can, to an extent, sometimes seem like a little bit of a wilderness period. You don't necessarily know what is out there, what awaits. And I do think it is very healthy for a church as you go through this time, certainly to acknowledge wholeheartedly that we serve a God who knows every facet of what this church is going through, what this church is going to go through, what you as a church family are going to be feeling and experiencing. He, God already knows who the next pastor is going to be. He knows every detail about that man's life. He's got it all in the palm of his hand, and we can trust him completely. And there is great peace in that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, with that in mind, I want to be able to have us look here at a passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 1. And, and you're... Let's go ahead and read the first part of verse 27, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, where it says this, Whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I have a great mother-in-law, all right? She, she really is a tremendous mother-in-law. Very godly woman, one of the most gracious people I know. She just has such a sweet spirit about her. She was telling us about something that happened several months ago. Uh, she was uh, flipping through a, a magazine of some kind. Some, maybe it was a circular she'd gotten in the mail and came across an ad for a makeup product and it showed the face of Joanna Gaines. Y'all know the, the home and garden television, Chip and Joanna Gaines couple. Well, you know, they, their face is on everything seemingly these days. But, but it showed her face, and it was as though she was endorsing this product. And, and you could purchase this, this makeup product. It was a cream of some kind. You could purchase it for about $5. And so she, she, she ordered two of them. And so she, you can imagine her surprise. She got her credit card bill, and her credit card had been charged $150. That'll warm your heart, won't it, when you see that kind of thing? And so she, she started digging into this, and she found a phone number to call, and she called this phone number, and she said, uh, excuse me, you've made a terrible mistake. I only ordered two of these little, little creams, and it was supposed to cost me $10 plus shipping, and my credit card has been charged $150. And the lady said, oh, ma'am, I'm sorry to tell you this, but there is no mistake. Matter of fact, if you would have seen the fine print, you would have understood that by the time you get the product and the shipping charges, that is what your credit card was going to be billed, $75 a piece. My dear, gracious, saintly mother-in-law <laughs> is, is, in essence said, now wait just a second. You are cheating people out of their money. I need a refund. Ma'am, I'm sorry, we're not going to give you a refund. And, and so my mother-in-law said, well, how does it feel to work for a company that cheats people out of their money? And she said, ma'am, I'm sorry that you're having a terrible experience, but this is my job. I have to make a living. 
To which my mother-in-law replied, All right, young lady, here's what I'm going to do. Today and in in the foreseeable future, every time the Lord calls you to my mind, I am going to start praying for you as an individual that God will grant you, bless you with a job that is so good that you don't have to cheat people for a living for the rest of your life. (laughs) And and I I walked away from that, having her explain that to us, and I thought to myself, how many of us would respond, would end the conversation that way? I would have been mad. I'd have been fired up about this. They're cheating me, but she really was praying for this young lady. As she told us the story, she was still praying for this young lady that God would bless her with a good job. And all of a sudden, this verse came to my mind. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Boy, you ever had times in your day-to-day when you did not conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel? Mm. That is a powerfully convicting passage of Scripture. Ultimately, though, though it makes a powerful personal application to us as individuals, I think it is important for us to be able to affirm that when we come to the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul, as he writes these words, is writing to a whole church family. As a, as a matter of fact, you're able to see as the, the letter begins there at the end of verse 1, it says he's writing this to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and the deacons. And so in light of that, I think it does us even much more uh, good to be able to look at verse 127, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And let's think of it collectively. Think of it as a church family, as though Paul was telling the whole church, whatever happens, make sure you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are timely words for the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, let me share with you briefly a little bit of the situation behind the, the, the letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Um, If you were to look in the book of Acts, you'd be able to see that by the time you get to Acts chapter 28, Paul, he has been arrested. He was arrested in Jerusalem, and ultimately because his life was in danger, he appeals to appear as a Roman citizen before the emperor, Nero. And so the the book of Acts, as it it winds down in the chapters between about chapter 23 to to 28, talks about his journey to Rome. And in, in chapter 28, it says that Paul is under house arrest in Rome. And so that is where he is as he pins this letter. His future is very uncertain. He doesn't know what's going to happen once he appears before the emperor. And then if we were to take the time to read all four chapters of this letter to the church at Philippi, there are some other facets that I think would be very telling and and informative to us to understand the situation. For example, it's important for us to note that the people that are Christians living in Philippi, they are beginning to be persecuted for their faith. Look at verse 28 for a moment here in chapter 1, where it says, "...without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you." There are people who were opposing them. "...this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God." For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. So the church at Philippi is undergoing actual suffering for being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to take the time this morning, but we could look in chapter 3. And in chapter 3 it says that, that there's some false teaching that has begun to creep into the church rooted in legalism. And then in addition to that, you can go ahead and turn to chapter 4 for just a second. In chapter 4... We come to to verse 2 of chapter 4. 
And here the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, 4-2 says this, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. So these are two, two women in the church at Philippi that are not getting along, okay? They're, they're, they're just not enjoying unity like God intended. And so the Apostle Paul writes their names in the letter that is going to be written to the whole church family. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine sitting there and y'all are hearing this great, wonderful lesson and all of a sudden the Apostle Paul thinks it is important to mention the name of two people that are fighting in the life of the church. Oh man, oh boy, I bet those ladies' faces were red as those words were written. But that's the situation at the church at Philippi. They're being persecuted. They're having some false teachers trying to creep in and corrupt their, their beliefs. They're, they have some people in the church that are not getting along with each other. And so the timeline for this letter is this. The Apostle Paul, he arrives in Rome. Again, he's under house arrest, had a long journey to get there. Then the church at Philippi, somehow they hear that the Apostle Paul has arrived in Rome. They hear about it. They take up a love offering. We want to help meet his needs. And so they take up this love offering. And they send it by a beloved church member whose name was Epaphroditus. We, we find out all of this in the book of Philippians. And then Epaphroditus goes, he takes the money to the Apostle Paul. While Epaphroditus is there, he gets sick. Not just a little sick, he gets so sick that everybody, including Paul, thought he was going to die. But the Lord has mercy on Epaphroditus, he is saved, he is healed, he's restored to health. And so now, Paul, he's found out the church at Philippi has heard that Epaphroditus is sick and their beloved Paul's in jail. Paul decides to write a letter. And he, he sits down and he writes this letter. And certainly as he, as he thinks about this, he, there is opportunity to despair. He could have written about how terrible and how bleak everything looks right now and, and how he doesn't see a way out of this terrible dilemma. But he writes this letter, and ultimately he sends it by Epaphroditus. What is Paul going to say in this letter? You know what the theme to the letter of the church at Philippi is? It's, it could be summed up in one word. You know what it is? Joy. All Paul can talk about is how much joy he has in his life. He is filled with joy. Sure, he's under arrest. Sure, he's awaiting trial in front of the emperor. Sure, he has, he has, from a human perspective, all these problems before him, but all he can think about is how much joy he has and how much joy he wants the church at Philippi to have. And so, with that in mind, once again, let's consider verse 127. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Those are the words for this, this man to this beloved church. Matter of fact, verse 27 could be the theme to the letter. It could kind of summarize the letter. Whatever happens, make sure you live for Jesus Christ. They have a history with this man, do they not? I don't know when the last time was you read Acts chapter 16, but in Acts chapter 16, Paul sets foot in Philippi for the very first time. Matter of fact, there's not a synagogue in Philippi. There aren't enough Jewish people, not enough God-fearing people in the city to even have a synagogue. And so he goes down to the river. 
And one Sabbath, he goes down there because that's where the God-fearers met to pray if there wasn't a synagogue, and he encounters a woman by the name of Lydia. In Acts chapter 16, it says, Lydia and her whole household prayed and received Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Lydia's sitting there as this letter's being written or read. Later on in the book, uh, or in, in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they, they get into some trouble. They're just doing the Lord's work, but ultimately Satan seeks to, to thwart it. They get into trouble. They are arrested. They are beaten. They are thrown into prison. And that night, if you'll recall, all of a sudden this, this earthquake comes as Paul and Silas are singing these hymns, and their, their chains fall off, and the jail cells, they, the doors fly open, and the, the jailer's about to commit suicide, and all of a sudden Paul and Silas cry out and say, don't do it, we're all still here. And this man rushes in, and he falls on his knees before them, and what is his question to them? What must I do to be saved? And the Apostle Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that night, right then and there, that man, that Philippian jailer is saved. He, he, his whole household is saved. That very night, the Philippian jailer and his family would have been sitting in that room as this letter was being written or read. What, what, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Look at the rest of this verse. Then... Whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Whether I'm released from prison or whether I stay here or even whether if I'm possibly executed as he talked about in a passage just before this, I will know that you stand firm, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. Now, with that in mind, let's, let's look here at the beginning of chapter 2. Let me, read, let me read the first four verses of chapter 2 where it says this. If you have any, any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete. Okay, here he is talking about joy. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so in verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in purpose. These two verses pretty much say the exact same thing. As followers of Jesus Christ, as you suffer persecution, as people try to sneak in and, and, dis, and distort what we believe about Jesus, as there's disunity in the church, what makes my joy complete is this, that you stand firm in one spirit, one purpose, one faith. And so the question that I want to pose this morning in the time that remains, just briefly, during this interim period, now, now if, if, you, if you're discouraged or struggling with this interim time, just remember, it, 
it, it's, it's, not, it's not anything like the church at Philippi was going through. All right? we, we're not really heavily persecuted. And, and, and I don't know about the condition of unity in the church, but it is my prayer, and certainly that, that is my desire. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But God is in total control, and we can trust Him completely. Whatever happens, make certain that we honor the Lord Jesus. What really matters? Two things really matter based on verse 127 and, and verse 2 of chapter 2. It's as though Paul is saying, we have been through so much together, this is what would really thrill me. And the first thing, as I just mentioned a moment ago, is unity. Being one in spirit. Being a body of the Lord Jesus Christ that is completely unified. And then the second, in addition to unity, is unity around the mission. Not only being one in spirit, being one in purpose. Having the same mind. That is what Paul says would really make his joy complete. Now that's not easy, is it? There are some things that we need to remember about unity. One of those is this, unity is non-negotiable. All right, for followers of Christ Jesus, as we meet together as brothers and sisters in Christ, unity is non-negotiable. John 13:35 says this. This is this is what Jesus says the night before he is arrested and crucified, that Thursday night. He says, "By this all men will know you're my disciples if you love one another." If you love one another, unity is not up for debate. It is non-negotiable. Second thing I want you to note about unity, this is, this is very important, and you may think I misspeak here, but unity is not an absence of conflict. Unity is not an absence of conflict. Now, just think about for a second. I, my wife and I, her name's Amy, we love each other dearly. We've been married for, in this coming June, it'll be 21 years. But if I stood up here and told you we never had any conflict, I'd be lying to you. Matter of fact, on, on occasion, we kinda, it's kind of a hobby of ours. We, we don't mind it, really. We like picking at each other. And, um, we have conflict in our marriage. But it doesn't mean we don't love each other, and it also doesn't mean that we don't enjoy unity within our home. The question is not whether or not we're ever going to disagree about something within the church family, the question is, when we disagree, how are we going to resolve the disagreement? And I'm telling you, this is very important, and it's very important during the interim time. Because if you've been a church member of any length of time, you may come in, you may join the church, and you love the church, and it's wonderful, and you, you love the worship, and it's good. Boy, I tell you what, I had a great time worshiping this morning. Appreciate Jeff as he leads, and and you may, you may think about, this is just a wonderful church, and then over time, all of a sudden, something irritates you about church. Or maybe somebody irritates you about church. I mean, that just, if you have never been irritated at church about something that ever happened here, show your hands. No, I'm kidding, don't really. I mean, I'd raise, I'd raise both hands. There's stuff that irritates us about church. But unity is not a complete absence of conflict. That's just uniformity. And if, if nobody's fired up about anything, that may mean we don't care about anything. And if there are people all around us that are dying and going to hell, we have got to care about that. And so in light of that, I want us to be able to understand you're going to have disagreements. 
You're going to be frustrated. But as followers of, the, of Jesus Christ, we have to resolve those conflicts in a very biblical manner. That, that's a whole sermon series. I'm not going to dive off into all of that. But you don't have to live in fear of conflict. You have to live in fear of, of not resolving conflict in a way that honors Jesus, in a way that brings unity. So unity is non-negotiable. Unity is not the absence of conflict. And then, and then finally, Christian unity is inseparable from the church's mission. Christian unity is inseparable from the church's mission. The Lord Jesus has given us the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations. That is the mission that God has given to His people. And I can only do that, we can only do that as a church family when we enjoy God-given unity. And if we enjoy God-given unity, then that unity is going to result in all of us coming together and saying, we've got to go out there and reach these people. Ronald Reagan once said, you can accomplish anything if you don't care who gets the credit. <laughs> That's a good word. I'm often interested in credit. I want the credit. All the credit goes to Jesus. And when a church finds itself there, we don't have anything to worry about. We exist for His pleasure. It is our honor and our privilege to serve Him. And so I pose this question to you this morning. The question isn't, what does Win Baptist Church need? The question is, what does win need? You know what we ultimately have as followers of Jesus? We have heaven. It's going to be wonderful. <laughs> the day's going to come, I'm going to close my eyes in death, and I'm going to be ushered into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to enjoy Him forever and ever. Boy, what great hope. The world needs that kind of hope. We have that to look forward to. So this ultimately isn't a question about what the church needs. It's a question about what the town needs. What does Cross County need? You know, about 35% of Cross County, 6,000 folks or so, are not affiliated with any church on any level whatsoever. I mean, period. Not at all. Not, I'm not talking about people on a church membership role that just don't show up. There's a whole lot more of those. I'm talking about people that have nothing to do with the church on any level whatsoever. 6,000 people in this county alone. Well, I'm telling you what, we, the church has got to be strong now. It is a time for us to rally together around the cause of advancing the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. The town of Wynn needs a church that can celebrate who we are in Christ and all that we have in the Lord Jesus. And even if they don't agree, they know that you value who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. This town needs a church that puts others before themselves. Verses 3 and 4 say, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interests of others. We should be known as people who practice love and compassion and humility, a church that is known for its unity. And then finally, this town desperately needs a church that is unified around the gospel. Not just right belief, but genuinely on mission to reach this community. 
I mean, that's all we can think about is how can we reach people with the message of the Lord Jesus Christ? And that is why Paul says, this is what will make my joy complete. Let's be unified. Let's be unified around the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have heaven. We're going to enjoy it forever. In the time that remains on this earth, let's do what God has called us to do, and that is to get outside these walls with the only message of hope there is in the entire world, and that is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, and through faith in Him, and through the power of His resurrection, we can can live forever. That is what God's called us to do. Now, I tell you what. It's, it, I love this passage of Scripture because the Apostle Paul, as he tries to illustrate the importance of humility, here's what he goes on and says in chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in the very form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant coming in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, Scripture says, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, those in heaven, those on the earth, those under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? We serve a great God, do we not? The Lord Jesus Christ is on the throne and we are His servants. It is our privilege to serve Him. God has a bright future in store for Wynn Baptist Church. He's got a great pastor in store for this great church family. And He calls upon His people, whatever happens, to be unified around the mission of proclaiming our great God and Savior to a lost and dying world.